get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Happy Thanksgiving week, folks. It's uh, it's good to be with you. I'm I'm ready for that turkey, ready for that stuffing. But right now, I'm ready to have a conversation about faith and politics uh, with with you, Justin. How, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Um, these last few weeks have been really special. I know there's something important to your heart that I wanted to kind of point out, and that's really made my day. And that's the Buffalo Bills. I know that they got beat by what well, they got scored <laughs> 54 points scored on them today. And they've been having a pretty, pretty rough time. So I didn't know if you had any commentary about that. I thought that might be a good place to start <laughs> off. <laughs> so, so uh, first of all, I thought we were friends, uh, uh, but I'm going to have to reevaluate now. Uh, second of all, when you said that, I thought you were setting up to talk about the fact that November is National Adoption Month, and I'm a big supporter of adoption. The adoption tax credit was put back in the tax bill, so I was, I was ready to celebrate adoption, and then you got to just go sour and make make this about I mean, you brought them up. I think you brought this upon yourself, right? I mean, you brought them up several times in past episodes. And so when we see their downfall, it kind of, I feel like it it has to be brought back up. So I'll give you the floor and let you explain or whatever you need to do. I I have no explanation other than the fact that it it is the Buffalo Bill. So this uh, this is a common occurrence. Buffalo fans are used to it. And uh, and really, I'd rather not talk about this. Uh, maybe uh, uh, Fourth District Sports Podcast. Uh, uh, maybe I could be a special guest there, and we could commiserate <laughs> together. This um, isn't the proper uh, forum. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what what part of Church <laughs> Politics Podcast? Uh, the Buffalo Bills really shouldn't even be brought up on this podcast. Yeah, you probably should have thought and about I, that a couple of weeks I, ago. You know, I, I wish that you would stay on message, actually. Uh, <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, yeah, so we're five and five. We're still in the playoff hunt. And uh, and I'll bring this back, uh, you know, if and when we ever win a game again. But until then, I, I'm, I'm, t- I'm calling for a uh, moratorium on the Bill Stock. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, you know, we we do have some some real subjects to get to on this episode. Um and, and you know, this week we saw uh more shoes drop as, you know, this really uh incredible uh series of stories involving sexual harassment have come out hitting not just politics but uh entertainment uh and a variety of uh, media, a variety of sectors. Uh, this uh, this past week, it was Leanne Tweeden um, who came forward uh, with the accusation that Senator Al Franken of Minnesota during a 2006 uh, USO trip uh, to Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan. So this is this is uh, uh, before he was a senator. Uh, 
2006 USO trip, uh, Tweeden had um, uh, two things really happen. First, uh, Al Franken wrote a uh, a script for a uh, a skit that they were going to put on for our troops that called for a kiss scene, and he for, uh, allegedly forced himself. And you know, I'll say allegedly, but it's important to note. Uh, Franken hasn't sort of resolutely rejected rejected this. I think he said that he this didn't play. He didn't remember this playing out the way she said, but he didn't reject it. Uh, so so Tweeden said that uh, Franken forced himself uh, on her and, and and kissed her. And then following that, um, Alf, we have photo <laughs> photographic evidence of Al Franken um, grabbing. Um, uh, Tweeden's breast while she was uh, while she was sleeping um, in what you know he clearly was playing it off like a joke, but it's also very clearly uh, sexual harassment and um, a, a abuse of this woman who was who was sleeping in the midst in the midst of a Middle East um, a, 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 you know a pretty strenuous trip. And so Al Franken has apologized. He apologized once, and then when that was sort of deemed insufficient. He apologized uh, again in a pretty extensive apology. Uh, and uh, there are uh, people calling for him uh, to resign. Conservatives have said, uh, you know, <laughs> look, look, this shows that um, this is a, a pervasive problem on the Democratic side. And so, it, you know, this is, uh, this is a sitting U.S. senator um, who, uh, actually advance legislation on sexual abuse in the military and on a USO trip, um, he, he's uh, acting outrageously and offensively and, and harassingly. Uh, so, uh, J Justin, how, how do you think this is, this is played out? Do you think Al Franken needs to resign? And what do you think about the reaction? The jury's still out for me. I'm not exactly sure what to make of this. Uh, you know, it's a matter of degree to some extent. We know all this stuff is wrong. You know, his his first apology was more defensive than apologetic. And so mm -hmm. I'm glad he came back and, and gave a true apology. Um, politically speaking. You know, the Democrats, um, some would say that they they have a little less moral high ground um, on, on this subject because of uh, Al Franken. Um and, and, you know, that hurts them when it comes to Roy Moore and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes, to some extent. But we do. One of the problems with this whole conversation is we're lumping a lot of things together that aren't necessarily the same. So what yeah. Roy Moore is being accused of is a lot more um, serious than what Al Franken has been accused of. Uh, we right. need to be clear on that. And because the chaos with this whole conversation a lot of things are getting lumped together and there may be some false equivalency, uh, so yeah. to speak, in that regard. Politically, not helpful for Democrats. Um, you know, it brings up back, brings back up conversations about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And we saw earlier that, um, Senator, uh, Gillibrand actually came and said that Clinton should have resigned after the Lewinsky affair. That's been a, yeah. a big deal going about, but it, it doesn't help any the conversation at all. One of the things I've I've seen a lot of is people seem relieved or even excited when the allegations are against the other party. Um, I think, and I think right. we all have to watch that. But if yeah. we really care about this issue, it shouldn't matter who the perpetrator is. 
Um, and there's too often it becomes a political matter before we even have the facts. We've talked about that over and over again. We do need to set the standard for what we expect. I think we we need to reset the standard from what we expect from these politicians and elected officials or just people that are in the public eye in general. Uh, And it needs to be very clear. Um, I'm not sure that I can do that at this very moment. Um, It wouldn't hurt for him to resign. I don't know that we have to demand that he resigns immediately. But you have to. And maybe the best thing to say is that we have to have the conversation. And so let's start having the conversation about what resetting these barriers look like. One thing I'll say about this conversation, though, is we saw within the last few months or a year, Al Franken Franken has been one of the most vitriolic. I mean, he's been really coming at other people very hard on a lot of different issues. He's one of the main uh, senators you'll see on the Democratic side really being self-righteous about a lot of issues. And we see Hmm. this happen. Uh, that huh. should tell us something and we should all watch out for those type of things. You know, when you're, when you're accusing yeah. people and th- throwing the first, first stone, you gotta be cautious. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold people accountable, but right. we should watch how we go about it. And in this moment, let me add this as well. In this moment, it is important for Christians to remember that grace isn't just for those who fit our narrative. It's not only for those yeah. who seem sympathetic to us, that grace right. is even for the worst of us. Now, that doesn't yeah. relieve you of consequences, but I, I, I want to make sure that our worst instincts don't overtake a good cause. Um, and so we yeah. have to still be judicious. We have to still be fair within this conversation. Right. And, you know, that politi- the, the sort of partisan angle on this is, is really interesting. You know, I, I've sensed sort of Republicans feel like, oh, gosh, now here's our opportunity for people's uh, 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 for people to get fired and, and for people to be forced to resign. So let's really grab this. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that's, that's, that's healthy though. Again, I, I think a real conversation has to be had about when do we expect politicians to step down and when should it be left to, uh, you know, to election time? Uh, and I think that's a real important discussion to be had. I was interested in the Washington Post, uh, self-described uh, feminist uh, Kate Harding uh, basically wrote an op-ed saying, you know, she would usually call for uh, uh, people to step down as a feminist and the author of a book on rape culture. Uh, she writes, I could reasonably be expected to lead the calls for Al Franken to step down. But then she goes on to explain why she's not. Uh, Henry, and her answer was, you know, in, in some uh admirably because of its clarity was because she thinks Democrats are great for women and Republicans are Mm -hmm. not. (laughs) And, and uh, she argued that, uh, that it would, uh, she said that uh, short sexual harassment and the culture of sexual harassment is pervasive. She's worried that a bunch of other Democrats have, uh, uh, will be involved in these kinds of scandals. And so if the if the president is set that they have to step down, she's worried about Democrats in red states where a Republican governor would be uh would be appointing someone that that they would be forced to step down. And she says, you know, if Republicans ever held their politicians accountable, then then my position would probably change. But until then, uh we have to uh we have to think about the consequences uh, in politics and, and for women. And I just, uh, 
how is the other side supposed to take that seriously? <laughs> how is the other side supposed to supposed to take it seriously that um, that they have to hold their politicians accountable and take the political hits themselves? Uh, but you, for political reasons, aren't going to hold your own politicians accountable. Again, I'm not sure if Al Franken should resign, but for someone to write and say, if a Republican did this, I'd be demanding they resign and saying that it was, you know, uh, uh, representative of a of a cult, a Republican culture of you know aiding and abetting sexual harassers. But when it's Democrats, uh, he 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 gets a get out of jail free card. Um, you know, th- this is the same kind of tribalism and uh, ex- excusing your own side that we talk about on the show pretty regularly. Yeah, and that's a perfect recipe for disaster. Uh, and it's yeah. it's really how we're in the situation that we're in right now. When you look at the excuses people make for people on their side, when you look at how we can rationalize the wrongs done by people who are close to us, it make and if we can look at that honestly, it makes us truly understand our own depravity. Um, yeah. I think oftentimes what happens is we make the evil on the other side so big and so bad that the evil on our side is just worth ignoring, right? Because right. it couldn't be that bad. If it if us pointing out the evil on our side helps those big, bad guys over there, wrong is wrong. And until we're willing to call out wrong when it's not convenient to us, when when Democrats are willing to call out wrong, not just when it's a time when they may gain a seat, then nobody's going to have any credibility on this issue. Uh, There have been some people who have stepped up who said this is wrong. And if we lose, we just have to lose. But that's a perfect example. Someone who has given their life to a certain subject, which may be, you know, women's rights and things of that nature. She made a statement that shows it's not really even about those particular women. It's about labels. It's about what I expect someone to do. I can let you get away with certain things as long as you help me here. And really, that's making a deal with the devil. Wrong is wrong. Call it out whenever you see it. And whatever the consequences may be, you just have to accept those consequences. Otherwise, we come into this situation where when exactly when, you know, what happened with Bill Clinton, everyone overlooked it. And then it becomes a big deal when it's someone else. No, it's always a big deal. Let's call it out. But then again, Christians always operate in grace. Let's not start uh, trying to be the first ones kind of carrying the torches, but make sure that people are held accountable. But let's do it in a way that is graceful, because these type of conversations, because they get so passionate can easily spin out of control and people get hurt and a good cause can turn into a negative cause that's happened throughout history over and over again. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on in some ways from that. Um, But this is somewhat related, you know, David Brooks had a column out this week uh, called uh, with, with the title, our elites still don't get it. And uh, for those who follow Brooks, he's written about these subjects before, and this isn't this really wasn't like his most his his biggest deep dive into the topic. But I do think the issues he raises are a good sandbox uh, in which to play, and and raises good issues to discuss. Just an excerpt from this column, he says he writes through most of American history, our society was built on this same sort of unchosen chosen distinction. At our foundation, we were a society with strong covenantal attachments to family, community, creed, and faith. 
Then on top of them, we built democracy and capitalism that celebrated liberty and individual rights. The deep covenantal institutions gave people the capacity to use their freedom well. The liberal institutions gave them that freedom. And then he continues, this delicate balance, liberal institutions built to top illiberal ones, is now giving way. The big social movements of the past half century were about maximizing freedom of choice. Right-wingers wanted to maximize economic choice and left-wingers lifestyle choice. And anything that smacked of restraint came to seem like a bad thing to be eliminated. Uh, David, in some ways, is playing in a conversation that's been un unfolding uh, 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 over the last couple of months, in particular in sort of academic and elite circles about uh, whether liberal whether liberal democracy is even viable anymore, as we're seeing liberal democratic institutions fail. Uh, and David zeroes in on uh, this sort of loss of uh, extra political or pre-political institutions like the family, like the church. And I think that there's, um, I think that he he hits on something important and hits on something that political elites are missing as to why people feel so unmoored in this time. That it's not just a matter of tinkering around with public policy uh, to to give people more taxes or to uh, uh, to give people more of their taxes back or to uh, uh, beef up social safety net programs. There's actually something deeper going on. Justin, what stuck out? What's the, because we've been texting about this column throughout the week. What, what really stuck out to you about it? And, and what do you think David kind of nods towards? Uh, a, a direction to go in, but but what do you think is the the path forward? Yeah, so first, what, what stuck out to me was, you know, and some what I took him as saying was that until we restore our moral culture, until we restore family life and our community bonds, all the politics and policy won't be enough to do the trick. You know, yeah. I'm as you know, I'm the president of the AND campaign. The AND campaign focuses on uh, politics but also focuses on culture because culture matters. And actually politics should be downstream from culture that it doesn't always happen that way, but that's the way that it should be. And what I drew from this was this conversation about covenant, the, the yeah. idea of being bound to something that is bigger than you being bound to something that you can't just choose to change. You know, the yeah, point right. that he made about, freedom going wrong and us not being able to use our freedom wisely when we don't have covenants that are below that freedom is so true. And it's a problem that I have sometimes with my own side, you know, with Democrats, not really understanding that freedom in itself is not necessarily a good thing if you don't know how to use it. Uh, and I think when we look at the gospel, the gospel doesn't just talk about liberation by itself, right? Yeah, it right. talks about liberation, but it also gives direction and it uh, demands obedience, right? Because freedom by itself isn't going to be enough. And I, I, I think he, Brooks does a very good job at pointing that out. You know, to a certain extent, we also have to understand that our elected officials and their shortcomings are really reflections of us. So right. to change that reflection, we cannot wait on politicians to save us. You know, we mm -hmm. have to save them in some instances. We have to save them from yeah. themselves. And I right. said earlier, we have to reset those boundaries. And again, that often involves putting our tribe aside for a while and focusing on principles, focusing on the greater good. What I think this means for Christians is that 
as soon as possible, we have to make sure that when we walk into the public square, we're not walking into the public square as a progressive first or a conservative first. You can lean whatever way you want to. But in my opinion, you need to walk into the public square with your Christian principles first. Uh, And that way you can ensure that you're not uh, blown too far to the left or blown too far to the right. Now, that doesn't mean throwing Bibles at people's head, forcing the gospel through mm-hmm. down people's mm-hmm. throat. But right. it does mean that your principles uh, allow you to know where you stand before you get into the conversation. Uh, and so that's really what I took from what he was saying, that freedom, we all want people to have freedom. But freedom isn't as valuable as we think if there aren't those social mores and those community uh, connections and family connections to keep us uh, firmly rooted. Yeah. The- uh, as as important as politics is and as policy is, um, and it can make some real important changes and, and impact people's lives. But uh, he has a line here about Washington policy wonks building technocratic sandcastles that keep getting swept away in the cultural tides. And I, I just think that's that's exactly right. If we, if we aren't thinking about what we're what we're building on. You, you know, if the if the foundation are these covenantal ties and the policy approaches are, are just sort of building on top of that, um, what we need to think about what the what the foundation looks like, what policy approaches can can aid that foundation. And then, frankly, look outside of politics for how we can strengthen our uh, our, our civic character, how we can strengthen uh, our families and our churches uh, that that will have a dividend, a political dividend uh, that will help our, pol- our our politics much more than uh, than than political idolatry and just acting as if all the change that needs to happen is going to come through uh, just getting the right folks in in office. And uh, uh, I really appreciate David for for pointing that out. I did, too. And another something else to look at just for people who want to just go a little f- deeper than the actual article is he starts off talking about John Bowlby's attachment theory. And within that theory, it's one I'd recommend looking up. Uh, Bowlby makes the distinction between the relationships that we choose and the relationships we don't choose. So some of the relationships right. that we don't choose are family, hometown, ethnic group, uh, nation and our genes. But we do choose our job, our spouse and our hobbies. And one of the things that he says is that this country's strength came from our strong covenantal attachments to family, faith, creed, etc. And those attachments gave us the ability to use our freedom well. And if we're going to use our freedom well, then we have to know where we stand. We have to understand the creeds and see the forest from the trees. We've talked about this before, uh, too. We cannot always act on the moment. We can't be so reactionary that we don't see the overall moral of the story or the overall objective. And I think we find ourselves caught up in in that a lot. But if you're looking to get more into this conversation and understand how the foundation is set by family and community, you know, look into the attachment theory. There's some very good articles, even within David Brooks's article that he mentions, that would be very helpful to understand that because it is bigger than policy. Policy is important. We wouldn't be having most of the conversations we do if politics and policy weren't important. But culture matters. And if you have the wrong culture, you can have outstanding, you can have the best of policies. But if people don't act on those policies and use them well, 
then your your uh community and your society is going to be in a bad situation. Yeah, and I also uh, just in before we move on, uh, reading the column, I, I thought of uh, Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone, which you know came out. Gosh, it, I mean, it's been a while since that book came out, but like so much of Putnam's work, really, you know, tapped into something that uh, is is as relevant now as it was when he when he wrote it. And so, would also recommend Bob Putnam's A Bowling Alone uh, to folks, as well as his his latest book, Our Kids. Um, Justin, I think just to just to wrap up and you know send this to Thanksgiving, you know this may come up around people's Thanksgiving dinner tables this Thursday, so we we might as well discuss mm-hmm. it here, uh, but not not dwell on it uh, too much. Uh, but uh, three UCLA basketball players were on a trip to China, uh, had uh, shoplifted during their ninety minutes of free time that they had to to explore uh and uh and they were being held by chinese officials uh and were released uh, president trump says that they were released after he had a a conversation uh with chinese officials including the chinese uh president um now right so that's a very sort of normal thing like everything's all all standard presidents talk on behalf of their citizens to other officials and often they get released what's what's different now of course um is president trump didn't feel sufficiently appreciated by the basketball players and specifically by lavar ball um who was the father of leangelo ball who was one of the players being held captive and so president trump tweeted now that the three basketball players are out of China and saved from years in jail, LeVar Ball, the father of Leangelo, is unaccepting of what I did for his son and that shoplifting is no big deal. I should have left them in jail. <laughs> he continued, shoplifting is a very big deal in China, as it should be, five to ten years in jail, but not to father LeVar. Should have gotten his son out during my next trip to China instead. China told them why they were released. Very ungrateful, and so uh, uh, that that's the extraordinary part of this that you now have a have a president uh, tweeting because he felt disrespected by Lavar Ball and insufficiently appreciated by players that he shouldn't have expended his presidential energies on getting these three uh, uh, Americans out of out of Chinese uh, custody. Justin, uh, like, yeah. what, what, what do you, what do you, yeah. what do you do with this? <laughs> well, once again, we have a president uh, bringing reality TV conversations to a national stage on on serious issues, and it's really yeah. a waste of time. It shows a disrespect for the office. And I know everyone who listens to this program wasn't a supporter of Barack Obama, but one thing you can say about him is that he acted with great dignity. Uh, and he treated the office with a lot of respect. And this just isn't treating the office with much respect at all. Um, you know, number one, I do, uh, I do think Trump was right if he indeed had a hand in, uh, getting these young men set free. Uh, I, I, I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that he, he did right. that. Um, number two, brothers and sisters, please don't go to other countries cutting up yeah. like that, right? This, this is not a game. You can't go to China. Right. You can't be in other countries doing stuff like that. Uh, it, it shows, you know, that you, you don't quite understand 
some of the privileges that you might have in this country that you might not get in others. So that's something to take very seriously. But once again, even when Trump, let's assume that he did, he did this because I think he's very well capable and he was over in that area. If, if Trump indeed was the reason for them being let go, that's a good thing, but he can never let something good just be what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. obviously, uh, LeVar Ball is, uh, he, he likes to be provocative. Uh, he is, yeah. he is enterprising and that's just what he does. But for a president, to feel like he has to have a back and forth about that and be drawn into that type of conversation, which does no one any good, just shows how small of a person that our president can be. Uh, you have to rise above those conversations. If you did something was that was right and somebody doesn't appreciate it, well, then they just don't appreciate it. And, it, right. and if that's the case, you can move on and go about your business. But it, it because you're to me president of the United States, Justin. You're president of the United States. <laughs> Colin, and it hits to me Colin that you just don't do, you don't do it for the right reasons. Even after he did it, he was like, let's see if they apologize to me. Come yeah. on. Man. And the kids did apologize, right? I mean, they right. thanked him rather, uh, not apologize. They, they thanked him for what yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Leave it at that and move on. If you did it for the right reasons, then just move on. And to need praise, to need people to always <sighs> see you in this special light when you are the president of the United States just shows that, um, as all of us, our president needs prayer. That power again and money are not enough. And we as a people are broken and our president is broken. And I would ask everyone to pray for him. But what we shouldn't do, and this is a challenge for those who are kind of fighting against what Trump is doing, as I am myself, is we can't talk about how silly Trump's back and forth are with some of this stuff and then glorify pettiness. One thing I see, and I understand the entertainment value of being petty, and that's just something people say. The problem I have is when we bring that into serious conversations about politics, culture, and policy. Leave all that stuff out for the games and the jokes. But when you're talking about serious things, don't promote people who are petty. Don't, don't, don't come at Trump for him being uh, that way. And then you turn around and support people who do the same thing just because they're insulting him. If we're really against that type of politics and that type of culture, then we need to be against it from people on our side and for people on Trump's side. So that's the challenge that yeah. I would I would send to, to folks out there. None of this petty stuff needs to enter into serious conversations. So let's let's take on that yeah. challenge. Yeah. So NYC Southpaw on Twitter tweeted, there doesn't have to be a Trump LeVar Ball news cycle. We can decide right now it isn't newsworthy. And and it that's completely true. And, and just what you said is very important. And it's it's what I've been concerned about seeing this play out, which is so much of the conversation around Trump and our politics is about what becomes accepted. But but the flip side of that um, is to think about uh, what will uh, be defined as exceptional post-Trump, which is to say, yes, Barack Obama um, was very he had a lot of criticism uh, thrown at him and he didn't feel like he had to respond to every single uh, uh, a bit. He realized he was the president of the United States, the most uh, powerful person in the world by many estimations. And he didn't need to respond to every person who was trying to, uh, who had something negative to say about him. Yes, that takes a certain amount of character, but, Listen, we've had we've had forty four presidents before this one, 
and none of them have been this petty. And so I, I just want to like, uh, there is, there is the, we don't want to uh, accept things as normal that aren't normal. The other side of that is I'm worried that we're going to think things are exceptional, like a president of the United States not tweeting at LeVar Ball because LeVar Ball said something he didn't like, uh, that, that, the, that the capacity and the character not to do that is going to be viewed as exceptional when really it should, be, it should be pretty easy for the president of the United States with everything on his plate to not even know about what LeVar Ball is saying. Right. You know, like, like it takes it takes work to know what LeVar Ball is saying about you. <laughs> and the president shouldn't have that much that much time. And so let's let's not make normal things that aren't. But let's also not uh, not think that things that uh, that should be happening anyways are are exceptional once we once we uh, get beyond this moment. That's right. And take at least three hours a day to police your own side. How about that? Three hours a day. Yeah. We'll start there. I like that. I like that. And, you know, some of us are going to need to be uh, p- policing uh, ourselves around the Thanksgiving table. M- might I just advise <laughs> to folks, uh, listen, uh, yes, uh, there can be important conversations had uh, while you're with family. And I'm not suggesting anybody uh, let craziness uh, sort of uh, uh, slide uh, with your complicity. But, but let me also just say, uh, look, uh, sometimes you could just eat some turkey and uh, not turn everything into uh, uh, the major <laughs> activist moment of, of, of the year. Uh, like, enjoy your family. Uh, uh, put things in perspective. If, if there are moments where you can uh, uh, move the ball forward when that that aunt or that uncle may, maybe seems a little more open to conversation than they were the year before, uh, th- then take the opportunity. But uh, it, just enjoy the blessing of being around family and, and being able to share what God has done in, in your life over the last year. Uh, and, and don't don't go into uh, this week with uh, feelings of uh, that, that you, you got to be uh, fighting with somebody. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I, I just want to say before we, we uh, get out of here that I uh, I am thankful for all of you who listen to the Church Politics podcast. Yes. You know, we started not too long ago with the hopes that we could get a message out about politics that was biblically centered. And all the support that you all have shown us, uh, seeing that you listen, seeing that you are interacting with us and asking us questions and even challenging, challenging us at times means yeah. so much to us because we really want to get the conversation out because we think that with the gospel and with a biblical worldview that Christians can really work to change the political landscape. So thank you all for listening. I want to give a special shout out to Jamie K. Uh, 417. Uh, she said, shared some of her experiences and said that the conversation last, last week that the Ann campaign had about sexual assault and all those things was helpful to her. Uh, we are so glad to hear that, and we want to make sure that we're being positive. So never hesitate to challenge us. We always appreciate the encouragement, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.